I mean, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Harvest. My name is Trey. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And um, welcome to our 11 a.m. Easter service. It's good to see you all. Um, quick question. Joel, is today your birthday? It is. Really quickly. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Joel. Happy birthday to you. Okay, there you go. Happy birthday, man. <laughs> Jacob, watch out. I'm coming for the singing role. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, welcome to Harvest. We, today is Easter Sunday. It is the Super Bowl for Christians. It's the big day. Um, it is the day that um, our faith is anchored upon. Um, for we believe that our God did not die and stay dead, for we believe that he died for us and then rose victorious. Um, that is what's a lot of, that sets us apart from a lot of other different religions, is that our God is alive and well, redeeming all things unto himself. It is this great plan and story of his, um, and it is such a spectacular day. Um, I want to start off the message by reading, because I can't quote it perfectly, but I want to read this story. This is a true story about a Japanese soldier from World War II. Um, any World War II history people in the room this morning? I'm a huge nobody. Okay. Okay, thank you, Danny. Okay. Uh, I am a huge history nerd. Um, I love all things history. Uh, so I came across this story, and I just thought it was perfect for what we are talking about this morning. So in World War II, there was a man, a Japanese soldier by the name of uh, Hiru Anato, who fought, again, for Japan in World War II. On December 26, 1944, Hiru Anato was ordered to be stationed by his commanding officer on one of the many islands in the Philippines, specifically the Lupang Island. He was instructed to do whatever it took to hamper enemy attacks. He was to destroy the enemy airship and the docking bay at the harbor. He was ordered to never surrender, instead, in the possibility of ultimate defeat, to take his life with his dagger. And so we have this Japanese soldier. He's on the Lupang Island. It is, uh, he's given orders to do this. Japan is already starting to lose the war, but they're not going to give up. So he gets sent there and stationed there on February 28th of 1945. So just two months after he's given the orders. In a short period of time, outmanned and outnumbered, uh, outgunned and outnumbered, all but three of his soldiers had died in battle. So Anada ordered the three men, including him uh, and himself, so four in total, to go and hide in the mountains and hold out. During his stay... Onada and his soldiers were involved in guerrilla warfare and shootouts with the police. They were not going to give up. In October of 1945, they saw this cow on the mountain where it should not be. So they went up to this cow, and on this cow was this note that had been tied to it that says, The war is over. And on this piece of paper, it says, as of August in 1945, the war is over. They find it in October. But they said, hey, in August, a couple months prior, the war is over. For the police and some of the locals knew that there were some Japanese soldiers from World War II up in the mountains. They just didn't know where they were. So they just, 
did this to a lot of livestock, and they sent them up to mount the mountain. Hopefully, they would get the news. Well, Anada and his colleagues read the note, debated it, and came to the conclusion this was enemy propaganda to get them out of the mountain um, to, so that way they could destroy them and eventually solely have hold of the island. So towards the end of 1945, a couple months later, messages were dropped from a plane ordering the surrender of this platoon. And it was signed from the Japanese general. Again, Anada and his crew looked at the messages and again distrusted them and decided that they were fake. So over a year of hiding up in the mountains at this point, the four men concluded that this was another trick. Over time, they had continuous battles because they were still, if there were supply trucks passing through or aid going to help different people, they would try to stop them just to engage the enemy in some way, shape, or form. But after over a year, all three soldiers were killed, and Onada was the sole survivor, and he continued to evade and survive, still believing the war was happening. Then, on February 20th, 1974, Onada encountered a Japanese man named Hiriko Suzuki, a Japanese traveler who was, and I quote, looking for Lieutenant Onada, a wild panda, and the abominable snowman in that order. Suzuki found Onada after days of searching, and they became friends. Suzuki tried to convince Onada to come home and that the war was over, but Onada refused, stating that he was waiting orders from his commanding officer and that he was going to hold his position, fight, and not give up the island. So Suzuki then returned to Japan, leadership, with photos of himself and Onada and told them the story. Japanese officials then found Onada's former commanding officer, who owned a small bookstore in Japan at the time, and they asked him to go to fly to Lupang to get his Japanese, to get this soldier. So on March 9th of 1974, the commander went and found Onada and relieved him of duty. His command, he turned, Onada turned in his rifle, his 500 rounds of ammo, some hand grenades, and a dagger his mother had given him in 1944 if he was ever captured and needed to honorably kill himself. 29 years after the war was over, Onada finally stepped into the truth that it actually was. And I wonder this morning at Harvest Community Church how many of us are living in the reality that the war is over, that the eternal war for our spirit, for our eternity, where our souls will reside forever. The battles we face today that ultimately, yes, we still have a battle to fight, but the war is over. Jesus, on this day that we celebrate, defeated the enemy you and I could not defeat, and that forgiveness, grace, mercy, and victory are all freely given to those that follow him. It's the message of Easter, that the war is over. Jesus has won. But I also wonder, at Harvest Community Church, how many of us are still up in the hills seeing and hearing the truth that, and thinking this can't be true, this isn't for me. And we're living and thinking as if the war isn't over. We hear truths proclaimed, we see truths, we see truths on social media, biblical truths, we see all these things and we're thinking how can that 
be, and we have doubts. So we keep fighting as if the war is not over. Why do we have doubts, though? Have you ever stopped and asked, like, why do we have doubts? I think a couple of reasons. I'll give you three really quick ones, and then you can kind of speculate and throw your own in there as well. But I think one reason that there are questions that you and I can't answer. Have you ever been reading the Bible, and you come across something, and you're like, well, that's in there. Explain it. Pfft, couldn't. Like, there are things in the Bible when you read them, and you're like, well, it says it there, and it says it there, and I'm just not quite sure that I understand. And there are questions you can't answer, and so because they're unanswerable, we start to doubt if they're true at all. How about this one? There's situations that seem unfair. You're thinking, okay, if I prayed about that, and God could, and he didn't, then why didn't he? Does he even love me. And there's this thing that happens. There's injustice all over the world. There are innocent children that suffer. There are innocent people that suffer. And if there is a, if there is a broken world out there and there is a good God who a lot of churches preaches in control, then where is the good God in the midst of all of this bad? And it raises doubt. Or maybe this, maybe it's because there are personal hurts you can't resolve. Personal tragedy that you still haven't found answers for. Maybe it's because Christians and maybe even the church hasn't been a good, safe place for you, and you just kind of walked away from it all. In John chapter 20, we're going to be this morning. If you have your Bibles, flip there. Phone swipe there. If neither, it'll be on the screens for you. We're going to look at somebody who I think will help us navigate this tension of doubt. You see, in John chapter 20, but by the way, in John chapter 20, we can't, Jesus has already risen, and there are 13 appearances. There are 13 instances in Scripture after Jesus' resurrection where he shows himself to uh, Jesus, to his disciples. There are 13 instances. Every single instance, let me tell you, people doubted. And so we come across this person named Thomas. And we, if you've grown up in church or you know his name, you know Doubting Thomas, right? We don't do that with anybody else. We don't say deny or Peter, right? We don't do that with anybody else. We just attribute that to Thomas. So doubting Thomas. And we come across this story in doubting Thomas about how Jesus intersected with Thomas and Thomas intersected with Jesus and how they fought this thing called doubt together. And so as we read John 24, verses 24 through 28, lean in with me, read with me, and we'll go from there. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger on the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I want to point out something in John chapter 20. Jesus does not show up and undo all the work of the flesh. Meaning this, he does not show up and then boom, all doubt is gone. It is not boom because Jesus is here. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus ascends, it says people saw him ascend and still people doubted. So what does he do? Jesus looks at Thomas and invites him into the doubt. 
He invites him into solving this thing. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, there's a story where there is this demon-possessed boy, and the disciples are trying to cast out this demon, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and the disciples are like, hey, we can't do anything about this. Jesus, can you help him? And Jesus walks into the story, and instead of just going, boom, get out, he goes, fought you, the dad of this boy. How long has he been like this? What did Jesus do? Something I don't want us to miss. Again, he did it with Thomas. He did it in Mark chapter 9. He invited the disciples. He invited Thomas. He invited this father into the situation instead of showing up and just solving the situation. In other words, let me say it like this. Doubts don't have to be detrimental to your faith. They can be an opportunity for your faith to flourish. Doubts don't have to be detrimental to your faith. They can be an opportunity for your faith to flourish. So often we think, because I have a doubt in my faith, my faith is dwindling, and I am just in such the wrong. When in actuality, it may just be that you're thinking, filtering, and processing this truth and reality. Because let me tell you, this world does not mirror the characteristics of a perfect and holy God. And so when this world is broken and it looks broken and you're expecting this world to look like your perfect character traits God, you will be sorely disappointed. But it's somehow navigating this broken world while remembering and focusing and trying to become like the attributes of God that there is going to be doubt. There is going to be wrestle. And in the midst of your doubt, it does not have to be detrimental to your faith. It can be an opportunity for your faith to flourish. You know what's funny to me is you see and hear about a lot of like famous philosophers, right? They're well-known atheists. They are very adamant that Christianity is a hoax. It's a crux, right? And so what they do is they go on this journey to try to disprove God and there are thousands of stories like this. They go on this journey to try to disprove God, and along the way, they find out they can't. That there is, fun fact, there is more historical record, not Christian record or church records. I'm talking about like Roman record, Greek record. There is more record, historical record, that Jesus actually existed and walked this earth and died the way the Bible says he died than there is that Abraham Lincoln and George Washington ever existed. We have more proof that Jesus existed, walked, lived, and died than we do that George Washington or Abraham Lincoln ever existed. His fingerprint in history is too big to ignore. And what sets us apart is that our faith is that, that he did not stay dead, he got up. That's what sets us apart, and that gives us hope. But history cannot deny that Jesus was alive. And so they go on this journey, and what they find is they can't disprove Jesus. And in fact, today, many of them are devout followers of Jesus. So what did these philosophers do? What did Thomas do? What did the father in Mark 9 do? I think, number one, how can, we have an, how can our faith flourish in the midst of doubt? I think we can do what these men did. Number one, we acknowledge our doubts. That would be my encouragement to each and every single one of you when you struggle with doubt. Where is a good God in a horrible situation? Number one, acknowledge your doubts. Acknowledge your doubts. Now, we come upon this story, and we don't know where Thomas was prior, but here's what we do know. The disciples had an encounter with Jesus post-resurrection. Thomas wasn't there. He could have been sick, could have had the flu, could have just been tardy to the meeting. I don't know. But here's what I do know. He shows up, and they're like, we've seen the Lord. And it was 
Incredible. He's alive, Thomas. Thomas, like, we saw Jesus. And here's where I think we get messed up. We read Thomas's rebuttal of this in, he, of, uh, in a kind of a sarcastic way, right? Well, unless I see his hands, the mark on his nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place the hand on the side, I will never believe. And we uh, attribute this, like, mocking doubt of, like, oh, Thomas, you fool, right? But in reality, the tone of Thomas was one of desperation, right? Like, have you ever been there? And, like, Thomas is, in this moment, my assumption is, Eyes started to water. Got a lump in his throat of, don't tell me that. I saw him die. I was on that hill with you guys. I saw the nails in his hands. I saw the spirit goes through his side. And we said nothing, guys. We did nothing. We said nothing. We did nothing. And they took him off that piece of wood and they shoved his body into a tomb. We did nothing. Don't tell me he's alive. If he's alive, I need to see the scars. That was his attitude, one of desperation. Have you ever been desperate for a move of God in your life? And here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about hearing of moves of God in other people's lives. I'm talking about personally desperate for a move of God in your own life. It's one thing to hear stories that somewhat put a little bit of gasoline on the fire of revival and people coming to know Jesus and God did this for me and God did that for me. And you're like, well, here I am, isolated island, and God, I don't feel like God's doing it. And you are desperate. And in the late hours of the night, your soul groans for a miracle and a move of God in your own life. Have you ever been desperate? Thomas voiced his doubts, this desperation. He didn't play it off when the disciples were like, we saw Jesus and go, wow, that's crazy, fools. He was like, don't tell me that. I I watched him die. He acknowledged his doubts. It's like, I've got to see his hands. I've got to see his feet. I've got to see his side. It was a true desperate doubt that he didn't think he'd ever get answered either. But I believe it's a good place to start. And I think for you and I, it's a good place for us all to start. Acknowledge doubt specifically. Don't ignore it. When you ignore it, that's when it becomes detrimental. But when you acknowledge it, that's when it can be fruitful. When you acknowledge it, number two, fix your eyes on Jesus and keep them there. Fix your eyes on Jesus and keep them there. It says in scripture that Thomas says this in desperation, and it doesn't say in that exact moment where he goes, I got to see that Jesus appears in the room. It's like, hey, doubt still. Like, all doubt still, everything, peace, like, we're good. It says eight days later. Eight days. Now, remind you a little bit of context and kind of just paint this picture. Put yourself in the story. You're a Jesus follower right? Like, and you're one of the 11, the close 11, right? Jesus has been crucified for claiming to be something that you believe and followed. And you are incredibly scared and fearful because people are looking for you. And they're like, where are his followers? Where are his, where are the 11 that followed him? And they're fearful that they're next. So they're hiding. 
And in eight days of fear, eight days of anxiousness, eight days of not great sleep, eight days of anxiety, eight days, you insert the blank, eight days of torment. Eight days later. So what, why does eight days matter? It's because how many of you, when you say, God, I need you to show me this in this way, we expect it. And if it's not done within the first five minutes, we're like, well, God doesn't love me. But when you understand that a holy, perfect, and sovereign God does things his way, you'll accept his timing. And so in this moment, eight Days later, he appeared in the midst of them and greeted them with a peace be unto you. The door was locked. It's a supernatural thing. Trey, explain it. It's one of those things the Bible's, I can't. He's God, right? He just shows up in the room. The door's still locked. And he goes, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Eight days is a long time. How often do we want resolution to our doubts immediately? But Jesus rarely works like that. But keep seeking him. In the story where Peter walked on water, Peter was fine until he took his eyes off Jesus. With every disciple of his, he did not say, hey, look at me and then forget about me. He said, follow me. And last time I checked, I can't follow somebody I'm not looking at. And so if God has called you out of the grave and he has said, follow me, put your faith and trust in me, walk with me, work with me, and do how I do, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. There is so much going in, around in and on our world, this planet today, that is so easily um, distracting for you and for me. Every Sunday around 9 a.m., I get this stupid thing called a screen time report. And it makes me so depressed because I'm like, oh, my word, how much time did I spend looking at a phone? I'm going to go blind by 40, <laughs> right? Like, I, it, it is like, it's, <laughs> it's depressing when I, when I see it sometimes. But here's what I've discovered. It's if my eyes are so glued on that and I'm so engulfed on what's happening in our world today and I'm not in the word or spending time in prayer, I'm not having that relationship with Jesus, looking at Jesus and following Jesus, I lose Jesus's perspective on all of this, the Bible's perspective in all of this. And instead of taking the God's word's perspective and putting it on the world as a filter, I take the world and put it on a filter through his word. And when I take the broken characteristics of a, world, of a world and put it on a perfect characteristics of a perfect God, I begin to have some serious doubts, and that leads to deconstruction. But when I take the perfect, infallible word of God and all of his characteristics and put them, put them on a perfect or an imperfect world, what I begin to do is I begin to navigate this broken world with hope, joy, peace, and grace. And so my encouragement to you is whatever you're walking through, however heavy it may seem, my encouragement to you is fix your eyes on Jesus and keep them there. As you lead your family, as you lead your spouse, as you try to reach your community, and as you live in this world, the only way we come out with joy, grace, patience, long-suffering, all that stuff is if we fix our eyes on Jesus and we keep them there. And then third, remember his revelations in every situation until we reach our ultimate destination. 
remember his revelations in every situation until we reach our ultimate destination. Jesus shows up in this room supernaturally and says, peace be unto you. And he doesn't go, Peter, John, good to see you again. Matthew. And go through 10 disciples and eventually get to Thomas. He doesn't show up in the room and like, you got a place for me to nap? He shows up and goes, Thomas. Just immediately, he showed up for him. And when he showed up, he singled him out. And he went through every mark of Thomas's doubt. There are a couple things to point out just in this small little moment of immediately shows up and addresses every mark of his doubt. Number one is this. Jesus hears you even when you can't see him. Have you ever said a prayer? You're like, God, I think I'm talking to the sky right now. And I don't know if you hear me, but if you're out there, I need you to intervene. And it goes back to that cry of desperation, but I want to let you know, even if you don't feel him, sense him, or hear him, he hears you, even if you don't see him or feel him. And one thing I also want to acknowledge is that if it is true of Jesus, he will reveal it to us. If Thomas said in desperation, I need to see Jesus riding on a unicorn with a flaming sword, and I need to see this and that, here's what Jesus isn't going to do, showing up in that room on a unicorn with a flaming sword. But if we read God's word and you say, God, your word says that you are a provider and I need provision in this season, or else I don't know how we're going to make it. My trust and my hope and my faith, and I agree with you on that statement, is that God will show up as a provider. And if God's word says he is uh, long-suffering, if God's word says he is all-loving, if God's word says he will make a way when there seems to be no way, I will join you in agreement. I don't know how he's going to do it, but here's what I do know. If it's true about God and his word, it will come to pass in our life. That's what I believe and that's what I know. So Thomas has this moment where God shows up and addresses his doubts. And he says, Thomas, do you see? Do you see? And Thomas saw, he felt, and he experienced. Because God is not just meant to be known about. The demons know about God. God is meant to be known and experienced personally. Then Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, don't be faithless. For to be faithless is to be Christless, and to be Christless is to be graceless, joyless, hopeless, comfortless. I can go on and on and on. Instead, believer, in the midst of our doubt, going back to that story in Mark chapter 9 when the demon-possessed boy and the father and Jesus looks and how long has he been like this? He tells him. He looks at his disciples and he goes, what seems to be the problem? And they go, we believe. Just help our unbelief. And I wonder if we came to Jesus with our doubts with that posture instead of saying, I don't even think you're God anymore. What if we came to him with, I believe you're God but help my unbelief in this moment. And Thomas's response when he saw and experienced God was, my Lord, my God, he knew. 
and all of our lives, there will be moments of revelation where God shows up, where we see his hand, where we look and we look, that was just a God thing. Cling to those. Remember those. Where you saw the hand of God, you experienced the presence of God, where you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is king. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they just, it was a weird question, I've never been asked it before. They just said, hey, would you ever leave the church? Like, could somebody ever talk you out of what you believe? And I was like, yeah, pretty easily. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, um, I don't know, dude, I've never been asked that question before. And this person was dealing with this thing called deconstruction, which is a term where people ask hard questions because they haven't been told the total truth. And so this uh, shallow truth that they've been told can't answer these hard questions. And so they just decide to leave the faith. And they were wrestling with that. And they're like, I'm just struggling with this. If somebody asks you some hard questions, do you ever think you would leave the faith? I'm like, no. Maybe if I went through a hard season, maybe I may take a, a... a month off of going to church with my family and just, I don't know, go to the beach for a couple of days, but <laughs> I don't know. Like, honestly, like, if I had to be honest in that moment, I don't, I know a lot of you in here don't know my story, but here's what I, ended up, I was like, I grew up a pastor's kid. I saw religious abuse, not from my dad, but just from other people in the church and just, I've seen some hard things that have made me doubt. But here's what I can promise you and tell you in the midst of all of it. I will never not follow or believe in Jesus. I told this person, I was like, I've seen too many miracles. I've experienced too many moves of God in my own personal life and in my family's life. I've seen provision that can only come from a a watchful father who gives perfect gifts to his children. Um, I know the blood of Jesus has saved me. I know his Holy Spirit lives within me. I've seen God move in the life of an individual. I've seen God move in the lives of thousands in an instant. I've seen somebody on their deathbed the next day get up with all the strength and energy that they should have had before they were sick. I've been part of prayer meetings where a person who has been blind since birth somehow just began to see again. Couldn't tell you how. I've been in rooms where the person was on their deathbed with cancer and somehow a week later they got scanned and cancer was gone. Don't know how. Here's what I do know. Jesus is alive. He is working today. He is on the throne. And I have revelation in every situation that I'm going to follow him until I reach my ultimate destination. So Trey, what happened to Thomas? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Thomas has his doubts answered and he remembered this moment in this upper room and he ended up taking the gospel further than any of the 11. He went all the way to India and in India, he found these villagers and he was sharing the gospel with them these villagers found Jesus a threat to their God. And so one morning, they cornered Thomas in a cave where he was living. And they said, renounce Jesus as king. Renounce Jesus as God. He goes, I will never. So they shoved a spear through his chest. This is doubting Thomas. Something happened where his doubts led him to the furthest most parts of the world at that time where he was preaching the gospel of Jesus. 
And when he saw Jesus face to face in heaven, he breathed at last in that cave with a spear in his chest. Jesus welcomed him with open arms. You know what Thomas saw? You know there's an imperfect thing in heaven? There is, for the scars are still there. The wound is still there. When Thomas got to heaven and he saw Jesus, Jesus with open arms, Thomas saw the nails pierced hands. He saw the, the scar on his side and he was like, that's why I did what I did. That's why I went where I went. And church this morning, I don't know your story. I don't know your doubts. I don't know what you're walking through or going through, but here's what I wanna tell you. Acknowledge them, bring them to a holy and loving God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And when he shows up or he has shown up in your life, cling to those moments for one day when we pass from this world to the next, my goal is not to do so with comfortability. My goal is to get there and see how many people I can bring with me. So that way one day they can see the nail pierced hands. They can see the, 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 the scar on Jesus' side as he welcomes them with open arms saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. So your doubt doesn't have to be detrimental. Let it be an opportunity for your faith to flourish. Acknowledge it, fix your eyes on him. And in every situation, remember the revelation until we reach our ultimate destination. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. If you're in this room this morning, you say, I've never put my faith in Jesus. He sounds too good to be true. This story sounds too perfect to be, to be believable. The gospel literally means the good news. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're not following Jesus, eternity is too long to be wrong, I wanna invite you into God's story of redemption where your soul can be saved today. You can become a child of his today. And if that's you, I'm gonna say this prayer. Repeat this after me, believe this with me. And when you leave here, follow Jesus with me. But say this prayer, Heavenly Father, I confess I am a sinner. I am not perfect and I need a savior. And Jesus, I believe you are that savior. You died and rose again, and you call me unto yourself. So Jesus, I answer that call. And I put my faith and trust in you. I follow you. And today I enter your kingdom as a son and daughter. So Jesus, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. If you prayed that prayer this morning so I can know how to pray with you, would you raise your hand if you prayed that prayer and today you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Anybody like that in the room this morning? Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else this morning? Amen. For the rest of us that are dealing with doubt, bring it to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And when God shows up and shows out, remember those moments. Would you stand with me? We're going to lift up a great song to a holy and perfect God who deserves all the praise.